Good morning, friends, and welcome again to worship. Uh, this is the first Sunday in the season of Lent, which is typically a, a really meaningful season in the life of the church. Christians have been practicing the season of Lent at least back to the fourth century. And so this is something that our brothers and sisters have done for an awful long time. And it's a season that is characterized by fasting, typically characterized by fasting from food or habits in a way that uh, remind us to rely on God and refocus our hearts on who God is and what, what God is up to in preparation for the celebration of, of Easter. The thing is, for me this year in Lent, I'm not sure if we need a Lent. I, I got to tell you that the part of me wonders whether we need a Lent this year, because I feel like all of the last year has been, in a sense, uh, a season of Lent. All of the last year has been giving things up, right? We've given up health and safety. We've given up uh, social contact. We've given up, in some ways, civility. We've given up glasses that don't fog because we always have masks on. We've given up a lot because our lives have been on hold. At least that's what it feels like to me. Our lives have been on hold for so long. We're just waiting to get through this season, to get back to life as normal. And so it just makes me wonder what whether or not we need a season of Lent this year, and yet here we are uh, at the beginning of yet another Lenten season. I, I can't help but wonder how many of us are stuck in this kind of place where we are just on hold waiting to get through this season, right? We're stuck in a rut and we're kind of in a place where we're just saying, let's just grin and bear it and hopefully this will end sometime soon. I, the problem is, I'm not sure that's the best lens through which we can view either Lent or this year or any season of, of physical or emotional or a spiritual challenge. I'm not sure if just waiting for it to be finished is the best way to view these seasons in our life. Fortunately for us, the Bible offers us a different lens. The Bible has, has an image that, that I think... Um, uh, helps us to reframe these seasons in our life. And it brings with it, this particular image that shows up throughout the Bible brings with it uh, a powerful and beautiful lens to help us do that reframing work. The image of wilderness shows up beginning, middle, and end throughout the Bible. Uh, and, and that image of wilderness is one that, uh, that our, our season of Lent is built on, right? The, the season of Lent comes out of a wilderness story. After Jesus is baptized, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness for 40 days where he fasts, and, and that becomes the foundation for our season of Lent. But perhaps the, the most famous wilderness story in all of the Bible is the story of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. This is a fascinating story, and some of you already know this story, but, but for those who don't, remember that this is a story that takes place after God frees Israel from the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh. It, this is a story that takes place after God delivers Israel through the Red Sea. This is a story that takes place after God delivers Israel from the most powerful army on earth, Egypt's army. This takes place after the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud lead Israel by day and night. It takes place after God provides manna from heaven and quail from the skies. It takes place after uh, the, the people are thirsty and Moses strikes a rock and God uh, provides water flowing from that rock. It takes place after God reveals himself on Mount Sinai and after God reveals the law to his people on Mount Sinai. After all of that, 
Israel is at the precipice of the promised land. Remember, this is a moment that they've waited for, for four, five, six hundred years. Uh, They've waited, this nomadic enslaved tribe has waited for this moment where they can finally take possession of a land that will be their home. They stand at the precipice of it and right before they enter, they send, Moses sends, sends some scouts into the promised land. And these scouts spend 40 days uh, exploring the land of Israel. They spend 40 days exploring the promised land. And then they bring a report back to Moses and the leadership of Israel. And, and the report sounds kind of like this. Guys, this place is amazing. It is flowing in milk and honey. It is incredible and also full of guys that are just really ripped. It's full of people who are incredibly strong and they're gonna take our lunch money and beat us up and leave us in a trash can. This is a place that has incredible cities. These cities are amazingly defended by, uh, by walls that we will never bring down. There is no hope for us in this promised land. That's the report that they bring back. And God bless them, Caleb and, and Aaron and Moses try to convince the Israelites, they say, guys, Why would God bring us to this place only to abandon us now? Surely God is going to carry us into this land and make it our home just as God has been promising us for so long. But the Israelites, they very nearly stone Moses and Caleb in this moment. And they say, no. And not only do they say no, they say, I knew it. We should have stayed in Egypt. After all that God has done, they face this moment of fear and they say, I knew it. We should have stayed as slaves in Egypt. And it's in this moment that God's anger is kindled. And that's not an image of God that we like to, uh, to dwell on very long, but, but we can understand after so much, after God has, has shown up time and time again, after God has proven himself trustworthy, over and over, and the Israelites reject God one more time. It's in this moment that God's anger is kindled. And what he says is, look, for every day that one of your scouts was in the promised land, you're going to spend a year wandering in the wilderness. Forty years they are going to wander in the wilderness because their fear stopped them, because they were stuck in fear. 40 years in the wilderness. It feels like a bit of an overcorrection, overcorrection right? It, it feels like a little bit too much. It feels kind of like when, when, I, when I ask my children 37 times to clean their room and they don't do it. And so the 38th time I say, you're going to clean your room and also you're not going to eat for 10 months. And then my wife is over there looking at me saying, that's a little too much. That's kind of what the wilderness wanderings feel like to me initially. It feels like a little bit too much. And remember that this wilderness that they're going to wander in for 40 years is not like the Appalachian Trail in North Georgia. This is not a forested uh, wilderness that's full of vegetation and animal life of every kind. The the wilderness that they would have been wandering, uh, we need to picture something that's more like a, a, a rocky, barren desert. Uh, Dr. John A. Beck has done some incredible work on the role of wilderness in Scripture, and this is how he describes it. I think this is really important to understanding what's going on in this story. He says, look, the wilderness 
is vast. It is expansive. It is overwhelming in its size. This is a place that is rugged. It's vast and it's rugged. The terrain there itself is dangerous. It's rocky and it's hilly and it's very easy to get yourself in a dangerous position just because the land is so rugged. The, the wilderness is a, a place that is uh, pr- that has precious little water. Right? There's no there's no precipitation in the wilderness uh, that the Israelites are wandering through, which means not only will they have nothing to drink or very little to drink, it also means that there's no vegetation growing there. There's no animal life that could sustain a, a, a population there, right? There's no grain that, that can be grown in the wilderness. There's not enough rain. And so because of that, there's also no permanent settlements there. There's no people there. And there's nobody traveling through that land either, Because who wants to walk through a land like that? The wilderness is a place that lacks everything necessary for survival, which just begs the question, I think, God, what are you doing? God, why are you bringing your people into a place like that to wander for 40 years? It's the same question you and I ask. Right? When you and I find ourselves in, uh, in, a, in a physical or emotional or a, sp- or a spiritual wilderness season, we're asking the same question. God, why did you bring me here? I, I, this was not on the agenda or the itinerary. I was headed towards a land flowing in milk and honey. What am I doing in a wilderness now? It's the same question that you and I ask when we find ourselves in the most challenging seasons of our lives. And fortunately, we're not the first people to ask this kind of question. And we're not the first people to receive an answer to these questions either. I think for a lot of Christians, we tend to skip over many of the books in the Old Testament. But, but one of the books that we spend the least amount of time in is the book of Deuteronomy. There's a few passages that we'll glance off of in the book of Deuteronomy from time to time. But for most of us, we don't spend a whole lot of time in that book. And it really, it's to our own detriment because it is full of treasures and full of gems. One of those gems is in Deuteronomy chapter eight. And while, while what we're gonna read here appears elsewhere in the Old Testament, the answer to this question, God, what are you doing with your people in the wilderness for 40 years? The answer, the way that question is answered in Deuteronomy 8, I think is particularly powerful. And so I want to spend some time on it. And, and this story, this, this passage takes place on the other side of this wilderness wandering. Right at the end of the 40 years of wilderness wandering, uh, God's people, the Israelites, again find themselves on the precipice of entering the promised land. This time they're on the other side of the, uh, of the Jordan River and, and they're up on a mountain. You see this image of Moses on Mount Pisgah overlooking the promised land. And, and before they enter, Moses takes the opportunity to remind Israel who they are. He takes, he takes the opportunity to remind Israel who God is and what God is calling them to do, how God is calling them to live. And that's when this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8 uh, appears. This is after Moses has shared with them yet again the, uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, but listen to this. This is in Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 2. 
Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, right? Moses is calling back. It is God who has led us through the wilderness these 40 years. It wasn't that God sent us into the wilderness and left us on our own. It is that God has led us this long way in order to, and that's always an important phrase in Scripture, in order to reminds us or tells us, accuses us that something important is about to come. The reason that God led us into the, into the wilderness these long 40 years was in order to humble us to test you, to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, right? There are three things, and this is part of the reframing. This is the new lens through which you and I can view not just the season of Lent, but, the, but, but any season of emotional or physical or spiritual wilderness that we confront. This is the lens that we need to make our way through that season. It is not that we're on our own during the wilderness, and the wilderness is not a place where we sit back and just wait for it to finish. There is purpose and meaning led by God in these wilderness seasons. He starts out, Moses starts out by reminding us that, that the wilderness is a place where God humbles us. And remember where Israel is coming from. They're coming from Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. It's a, it's a land that is fed by the Nile River, which drives its economy and its agriculture to, uh, to essentially to world domination. It is the most sophisticated, most educated society and most civilized culture on earth at the time. It's a place with the greatest architecture, the greatest food. It is the height of civilization and it's practically a place that breeds arrogance. And we don't like talking about this very often, but one of the things that scripture is pretty black and white on is that God hates arrogance. There, Israel is coming from a place that breeds arrogance, but in the wilderness, they're stripped of all of that. The wilderness lacks the Nile River. The wilderness lacks the height of civilization and education and architecture and all that stuff. The, the wilderness lacks all of that. And because of that, we're confronted pretty quickly with our own limitations, right? We see how limited we are when left to our own devices in the wilderness. And so it breeds a posture of humility that reminds us of who we are and who God is. And the next thing that Moses says, is that the wilderness is a place that tests us in order to know whether we would follow God's law and follow God's commandments. When we hear that God is testing us, sometimes we're tempted to imagine a pass-fail examination, and that's the kind of testing that we think of. But I think a better image for this really is something more akin to metal testing, right? Metal testing is when you test an unknown, an unknown substance to discern what is this thing made out of. That's the kind of testing that I think God is doing in the wilderness. God brings us people people into the wilderness to find out about the depth of their trust. When you are stripped of everything necessary for survival and sustainability, will you trust that God will sustain you? Will you trust that God will provide for you? What is the depth of that trust? So, so the purposes that Moses is illuminating for this, for this wilderness wandering is that God is humbling us, 
God is testing us. And the, the last thing that he lifts up is that God is teaching us, right? Part of the reason that God allowed Israel to hunger was so that he could then provide manna from heaven. It's that, that desperate kind of feeling that rises up when we get hungry. And then God provided manna from heaven. And what he did is, is to, to do that in order that the people would understand that they don't live by bread alone, but, but they live by the word of the Lord, right? There's a teaching function. There are some lessons that can only be learned in seasons of wilderness. They can only be learned through the trials, the challenges, and the tribulations of the darkest seasons of our life. Humble, test, and teach. This is what God was up to. It turns out that the wilderness wandering was not an overcorrection. The wilderness wandering was not a needless consequence that God had meaning and purpose set aside for his people during this season. What I want to suggest is that if this is a wilderness season for you, whether that means Lent or maybe this past year, or maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the pandemic, maybe this is a wilderness season for you because of your job or a relationship or, or some challenge in your life. If this is a wilderness season, don't just sit through it. Don't just wait for it to finish. Don't sit back stuck in a rut as though there is nothing for you in this season. What we hear in scripture is that God has meaning and purpose. When God leads us into the wilderness, it is more than a transition season. It is more than just a season to be endured. It's a season to find new life. Wilderness seasons can be a, uh, an opportunity for us to discover who God is and who we are. After all, if you'll let me read just a couple more verses from Deuteronomy 8. Moses goes on to say, God led us through this wilderness, but think about where he's leading us still. He says in verse 7, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with flowing streams, with springs and underground waters welling up in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, where you will lack nothing. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. On the other side of the wilderness, as God leads us through this wilderness, he leads us into a place that is anything but. He leads us into the, the exact opposite of a wilderness season, a land flowing with everything the wilderness lacked, a land of goodness. We might even call it the good life. We believe this is our hope. We believe this is what this season of Lent could be. As much as we may not want to do a season of Lent because we've been doing it for so long now, this season of Lent could be the season as we lean into the humbling work of God, the testing of our hearts, and the teaching of God's word, we might just find ourselves on the other side in a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's pray. Oh God, we give you thanks for wilderness seasons. God, too often we confess that too often we waste the wasteland. We waste the wilderness seasons because we just want to get out of them as quickly as we can. God, I pray that you would give us vision to see where you are in the wilderness season, not just after. Give us courage and discipline to follow you through the wilderness. God, I pray that this humbling work, this, this testing work, this teaching work that you've set aside for us 
which strike deep into our hearts, that we might grow in our understanding of who you are, that we might grow in our, understand, in our understanding of who we are, who you've made us to be, and how you are calling us to live in this world. We offer all these things to you, and we pray it in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.